0: All right, well, today we are discussing Hernan Cortez or Hernando Cortez, you may have heard in English. I will uh, go ahead and pass this around. We'll get to this in a moment, but I'll give this to you. On this is just a basic map so you can get it in your head. Cuba is going to be very important, and then here on the Mexican continent area. You'll see where the Aztec Empire was, so where Cortez ends up going. And on this side is a close-up. This is like a map from shortly after this time in the 1500s that was made of the city, the capital city, that Cortes, uh, the Aztec capital city, which was an island in the middle of a lake in Mexico. So you can kind of look closely at that outline, uh, outline and that, so you can get your bearings here as we talk. And just pass it around as slowly as we go. So Hernando, or Hernan Cortes, born in 1485, died in 1547. He uh, was, of course, one of the famous Spanish conquistadors, born in Spain, but chose uh, as a young man to pursue a career of adventure, and exploration, particularly in the New World, as we discussed Columbus last time. After Columbus was just a floodgate of different explorers and things going out, the, Spain particularly was establishing all these colonies in the uh, Caribbean, and they were slowly beginning to make discoveries of the South American continent, Central America, Florida, onto the main North American continent. And so Cortez was a major figure one of the only two that we're going to be even talking about um, during that time. And, of course, again, why are we bringing him, him up if this is a church, church history class? Well, he was, the church was very involved. It was a very big part of the world. It was a very big part of Spain. It was a very big part of his life. He was a Christian or uh, a Roman Catholic of his day. So I will not judge his soul. Particularly, we can look at his life, his evidence, and you can make that conclusion and ultimately we'll leave it to God to decide as God already has. So, but there are things admirable and things not so much about Cortez to consider. Like I said, he's a Roman Catholic. Very easily you can look at his life and find that he was a flawed man. Um he had different uh, adulterous affairs in his life as he was a conquistador going throughout the new world and in no way can we say that that's as christians something we can overlook or say is okay or downplay those were great sins and ought to be repented of and hopefully they were although we don't see that in his life and yeah we can recognize people have great sins that we are not at all excusing or downplaying and yet accomplish great things or be genuine christians despite ongoing sins. Um, He was, as a conquistador, a very skilled, uh, he wasn't just a brute animal type guy who was brutal to his enemies, he was a very skilled, not only fighter, which he was a very skilled fighter, uh, but he was also a very skilled leader of a very rough group of men, as the conquistadors were. They were not very controllable or tameable, tameable men. They were not employees of the government, um, so they could go and leave, come and go as they wished, whenever they wanted, wherever they could find the better money or the better deal, whatever they wanted. And yet, uh, Cortez was incredible at leading this type of, of group of men in the 1500s. And not only just leading them in terms of this is what we're going to do. This is our plans, but actually, in battle, tactics and adjustments in battle. One of the one of the greatest, for lack of a better term, maybe or more specific term, generals, military generals in battle. Uh, I've read about in history uh, very skilled the way they fought and defeated the great Aztec Empire, and of course, like Columbus, like many of the men of that day, Cortez is unbelievably greatly maligned and slandered by liberal historians today. Many of the things they say about Columbus, they say about Cortez. You know, he was gold-hungry, and, you know, and they raped and pillaged the Aztecs and destroyed this great and magnificent empire that was so advanced by their brutal ways. And that, of course, is not all the truth at all, as we will see. You know, one, I'll just, one of the things that's popular that you'll read about the conquistadors and Cortez is that they introduced, and you saw us a little bit with Columbus, was a much worse degree with the Aztecs. Uh, the Spaniards introduced new diseases to the Aztecs that they had not experienced. And so many of the Aztecs were killed because of the diseases they caught from the Spaniards. And none of that, there's no reason at all to think the Spaniards were like intentionally <laughs> releasing a virus to kill these people. Uh, as we know some people might want to do. But uh, it's just simple biology that the Aztecs did not have an immune system that had ever been introduced to these viruses. Therefore, it's going to be much, much more worse and threatening compared to Spaniards or Europeans who have been used to these specific viruses. And I will add vice versa. Spaniards got sick from uh, Indian or Aztec diseases that they were not introduced to so this was just going around part of biology and life there's no reason to like accuse them of mass murder because of this so just know that fact as you hear things about cortez one of the great things about cortez is that we know a lot about him we can know so many details about his life about his mission and conquest of the aztecs because he had a personal chronicler that followed him and traveled with him everywhere he went who wrote down the good and the ugly, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He wrote down about Cortez's problem with certain women. He wrote down his flaws. And so he writes, his name was Bernal Diaz. He was his chronicler. So you can go read his chronicles. Um, but he writes as one who was not just paid to like write a nice history to make Cortez look good, but he writes as one who wrote fairly and accurately noting his flaws as well as his noble characteristics. And so that's where we get much of our information about Cortez from Bernal Diaz, his firsthand chronicler and witness as well. That's why we have so many quotes from Cortez because they were written down, his speeches were written down by Bernal Diaz. And so we have a good source of information on him. So, after Columbus discovered the New World, as, as it's called, Spanish colonies began to pop up. They would send up, they would establish the, the Spanish crown on all these different Caribbean islands. It sent many explorers, many looking for gold and treasure to the rest of the Caribbean and the Americas, and Cortez was an early person involved in that process. He... Uh, to make a long, detailed short story short and to the point, hit the main things here, uh, Cortez was, uh, so the Spaniards had a colony in Cuba. Uh, as you can see on the map, it's got a very close relationship to Mexico. Um, he was commissioned in Cuba from the Spanish colony there to go to the South American or Mexican continent. So they told he was specifically commissioned to go there for two main purposes, exploration and trade. Those are stated in the official documents commissioning him. Go there to this specific place on the continent for exploration and trade. So find out more about it, gather information, and see what you can do to make arties to begin trade and get gold and things like that through trade. Not through theft, not through murder or captivity, but... Exploration and trade. We want friendly relations with the locals, as they had intended to do on the Caribbean islands. And that always, how that went, depended upon the specific governors. Were they godly or were they honest? Some of them were. Some of them were brutal and dishonest. and went for personal, selfish, sinful gain. So it's a mixed bag. So Cortez was sent, commissioned to go to uh, the Mexican. Uh, mainland for exploration and trade. He was sent. This is important detail. With 500 men on a few ships uh, to Mexico for this. So they gave him. I can't remember the exact number. Two, three ships, or whatever it was. Four, maybe. Whatever it was. With 500 men to the Mexican continent from Cuba. And he initially, when they first got there, the area they went to was the area, the first people he made contact with there was some of the Mayan tribes, you know, the Mayan Empire. He first contacted some of them. Uh, there was some fighting with them. They had some, some military conflicts, some spats, but then after and through that, they made <laughs> peace very quickly. So there was not lasting conflict. They made peace. And from there, he established trade and in conversation with the Mayas, began to hear more tales about this great Aztec empire farther in and farther north uh, up in what is Mexico. And so Cortez, who had a great adventurous spirit, of course, he can't just hear about this great empire of gold and this great island, lake city, and this great empire without being really tempted to want to go find it. And think he's thinking about all the profit that he could gain uh, from establishing trade with this great empire. And as we'll find later, I'll get to some quotes in a moment. Not only profit, but he had a desire to spread the Christian faith as well to these new peoples that had not been in contact with Europe. And so when we look at Cortez in terms of his motivations, those accusations of, oh, he just wanted the gold, the profit. Yes, he wanted gold. Yes, he wanted trade and profit. But he also wanted to spread the Christian faith and see their idolatries overturned. And I think we just need to come to grips with the fact that both of those things can be true. They don't have to conflict. Obviously, there is a danger. We know that the love of money is the root of all evil. But we talked about with Columbus or you know last month or whatever, there are good reasons to want to profit. you've got people you've got to pay who are hiring you, you're not stealing, you're making trade, and so there's no, and you want to leave you want to gain an inheritance to leave to your family to do good with. There are good things to do with gold and money, and you can have those desires with desires for actually evangelizing people as well and trade is something that when it's done freely and honestly, that benefits both parties. What, what do you want? What do you want from me that you'll give me this that I want from you? So there's nothing wrong with that at all and profiting from trade. It's just a value exchange. And so uh, both of these desires we see written in Columbus coming out of him in his speeches. One of his speeches as, as he sets. Uh, begins one of his journey with his men. He promises to his men on the ship, I'm going to make you the richest men in the world. That's you know, how much gold we're going to get. And in the same breath, in the same speech, as he's going to say, and we're going to spread the kingdom of God. We're going to spread the Christian faith and see people's free from the bondage of idolatry and things like that. All in the same breath. And so we, in our modern world, we're, we kind of have this fight against you know, a pro, or a, not a prosperity gospel, but a poverty gospel. We're tempted towards a poverty gospel sometimes where we think we have to divulge ourselves of things to be righteous and holy. That kind of can be in our minds when we think about these guys, that, hey, we can have genuine good desires for gaining wealth and in spreading the gospel at the same time. So, he's in, he's in Mexico in the Mayans, which is sou- southern part of Mexico, Territory, he hears these tales about this great golden empire uh, to the north. And so Cortez, being ambitious as he was, says, Let's do it. And they begin to go. The problem is, when he continued in further to try and discover the Aztec Empire and this great island city of gold, he was breaking his legal commission that he had. He was commissioned to go to the specific place for this specific purpose and time, and then to come and report back. And so him going further was technically him breaking what he was commissioned to do. So there's some conflict that begins to happen because of this, and he'll face backlash from that. But he knew, like in the moment, he had to make the decision as a general, as a man. Sometimes you've got to make decisions in a moment that you don't have time to go back and ask permission. You know, you've know, got to make decisions in a moment. He knew action had to be taken. You didn't have time to go back and do all these things and blah, blah, blah. And so he made that calculation and made the decision. So there's a very fun story about how this happened. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's going to be in trouble with his superiors, and he'll go back and ask forgiveness later. But knowing as a leader, he's gotta have his men behind him to do this to this to be successful. He has the talk with his men, he tells them, This is the plan, here's the vision. And he says, if you want to turn back, go ahead and go back. You can go now. Our mission over is here, you can go back. The rest of us, whoever wants to stay, we'll move on. Well, all of them said, We're moving on. No one wanted to turn back. They wanted to follow him and find the city as well for themselves. And so they literally said, all right, everyone's had your chance to go. We're going to burn the ships now. So once we get in the thick of it, there's no turning back. We're all in. So decide now if you're all in to possible death or not. They knew the cost potentially was death. And so all of them decided we're not turning back. They literally burned the ships in the bay as they began their journey deeper into Mexico and farther up and north and in. And so they begin this journey Uh, As you saw on the map, or can look up and see, the capital city, which is today Mexico City, which would have called back then Tenochtitlan or something like that. That was the capital, Empire City. That was up in northern, or from where he was, more north, central. So it was a long journey in on foot, or they had horses, which actually the locals had not seen these horses or these armored horses, and it terrified them. They thought they were actually some kind of spiritual beings. And so just the sight of the horses at first really terrified the Aztecs. And um, eventually they, got, they figured out, hey, they're just animals. <laughs> but at first it was a great advantage to the greatly outnumbered Spaniards. Remember, started with 500. He lost some men in battle with the Mayas. So they're down a few men, burn the ships. They begin to journey in. And there's lots of little villages and towns and cities that they meet with along the way before they get to the capital city. And all these little villages are now within the Aztec Empire. These little villages and tribes of different groups of people have previously been conquered by the Aztecs. They're under the reign of the Aztec Empire, yet they're their local specific tribe and dialect and things. And so some of them, they have little battles with them and conquer them. Uh, some of them welcome them and love to see the Spaniards and they're amazed at them and follow them. But as they're going throughout, they're tell as they conquer these people or make friends with them, and again, they're getting shot at too at first in these battles. They're not just going and fighting people. The locals are seeing these strange, scary-looking people and they're just shooting at them. So it's not as if they're just aggressively destroying and conquering. And... Proof of that is seen in what happens they make these journeys they communicate when peace is made we're going to the Aztec and we're going to the capital city we want uh, um, Cortez had heard these stories about Montezuma, the great Empire or the better translations will be Moctezuma of his name. you've probably heard of him the greatest empire emperor of that world the, the Aztec emperor Moctezuma or Montezuma. Cortez was telling everybody, I'm going to go meet Moctezuma and speak with him and convert him to the Christian faith. And, and they began to see in all these villages idols of the Aztec religions, literal idols, literal different pyramids, and some of them great structures where they performed literal human sacrifices in their religious worship. They began to see all these different things that were very frightening to them and, alarming. and so their mission was, began to become, we need to go not only to establish trade and exploration, but to overthrow this idolatry, which is resulting in death of these people. And so he's going through these villages first. These villages, most of them, the vast majority of them, despised the Aztec empire that subdued them. Because the Aztec religion... When they would conquer someone in battle, they wouldn't kill them, they would capture them so that they can then take them and sacrifice them. And so the people who were conquered by them despised the Aztecs. They did not like their religion when that was forced upon them, the Aztec religion, because they were being their men and, and people were being taken and sacrificed. And so when they said, wow, when they saw, hey, there's this. Spaniard army, this amazing-looking army, who's going to meet Moctezuma and conquer them and overturn their false religion. Cortez began to build up his army from local tribes. They said, "Well, let's—we want to join you." So all these local cities and tribes were joining with the Spaniards. So as by the time they get to the capital city Tenochtitlan and they have this great battle, which we'll get to in a moment, the army of Cortez. I forget the exact percentages of it, but there was less than 500 men that were actually Spaniards, but tens of thousands of local tribes, Mexican tribes, came to fight on Cortez's side So against the Aztecs, so who had to do them. So when you read about how horrible the Spaniards were, realize most of the people fighting against the Aztecs were local tribes of Mexicans themselves. And a lot of the horrors you read about where there was like raping and pillaging type stuff was done by the local tribes. That was their mode of war. They weren't Christian people. They didn't know the Christian faith other than hearing from Cortez for the first time. Most of that awful stuff was not done by the Spaniards themselves. As Cortez ordered his men not to treat them that way and to treat them as Europeans Christians. And so all the horrible stuff was done by most of the locals, Mexicans doing it to themselves. So that's an important fact to keep in mind when we hear the slander about them. So he's building up this army of local tribes. Moctezuma, meanwhile, in the capital city, he has messengers in all these places. He hears that there's this group of Spaniards, which to them was white people, coming, which they had never seen before. They had never seen white people before. And the description of them was a description that sounded like these ancient godlike figures in the Aztec religion. So Montezuma is up in the capital city thinking that these ancient godlike figures are coming. And there's actually prophecies in the Aztec religion of these ancient gods who were of white reflection. One day they would come back and end Moctezuma's uh, Aztec empire. And so he's actually scared. He's sitting there uh, at the capital city with all of his massive army, shaking in his boots, oh no, they're coming for me, this little 500 band of men. And he's afraid. So he's sending out messengers as Cortez is advancing city to city. He's sending out messengers saying, hey, here's all these gifts, kind of like Jacob with Esau. He sends out all these gifts of gold and animals and, and goods to try and get him to turn back. Hey, Moctezuma, he's your friend. He, he loves you. Thank you. Take all this and go home. And every time Cortez is like, yeah, I'll take it. Thank you. I'm going to see Moctezuma. I'm going to see the emperor. The messengers are like, no, 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 you don't need to see him. You don't need to see him. He's like, no, I'm going to see the emperor. And he pressed forward. He pressed forward. And he would not be denied. So this is kind of this epic buildup. To the meeting of Moctezuma, the great Aztec Empire, and Cortes, a conquistador, a Roman Catholic. Um, The name of the god, if you read about it, who is described in the Aztec religion as looking like what Cortes ended up looking like was Quetzalcoatl. I think is how you say it. So Moctezuma is afraid. Here's Quetzalcoatl returned. Destroy me. So, let me pause here in the story and, and point out a few things. I think it's important at this point that we take a moment to consider the Aztecs and their religion uh, in order to understand the conflict that we're about to see happen. Because you can't understand, you can't rightfully interpret and understand the conflict between the Spaniard, conquistadors and the Mexican tribes versus the Aztecs unless you understand a little bit about the Aztec religion, it was a religion the likes of which the Spaniards themselves had never seen. They had never seen one like it. It was a religion of incredible amounts, unbelievable amounts of human sacrifice. The numbers are in the hundreds of thousands a year, uh, and we don't. And that's on conservative estimates of how many human sacrifices were made by the Aztecs. There was not just, the thing about it was, there wasn't just one sacrificial ceremony that they practiced. Hey, once a year, here's the great ceremony where we come in and bring our captives to sacrifice them. But they believed in multiple different gods. And so as they believed in multiple different gods, there were all different types of ritual practices that they had all throughout the year, marking their year different times and seasons to offer up different types and different ways of sacrificing. So, because of that, the empire was a constant flow of blood. It was constantly. you, If you were to be dropped in and visit, as the conquistadors were, didn't matter what time of year it was, you would see the horrors that uh, they did. And it is so bad I've read Bernal Diaz's descriptions of it. It's so bad, I cannot in good conscience even tell you, (laughs) with the mixed audience we have, of all the details in their yearly rituals. That's how bad it is. So just know I will tell you things that are bad and know that it's worse than what I'm even going to tell you. (laughs) Um, So it was very, very bad. But I'll give you just a few examples and quotes here. So, that you can begin to understand just a small bit of what the conquistadors were up against and what blew their minds that they saw for the first time. So, here's what one historian writes he says this The Aztecs believed that they were indispensable partners of the gods in preserving the unity and harmony of the cosmos. As the sun god, which is one of the main gods they worshipped, as so many pagan religions, they worship the sun. As the sun god daily warred against the moon god and star gods, it was their sacred duty, they believed, to nourish the sun god named Huitzilopochtli, or something like that, to strengthen him in his battle. So they were witnessing this cosmic battle of the gods each day as the sun rose and then the moon and the stars rose. They saw this as this battle of the gods each day they were witnessing it. And it was their duty, they believed, to nourish the sun god, to strengthen him in his battle, that he would win and that he would rise again the next day. And so they didn't know, kind of like the Egyptians we talked about a long time ago, would the sun rise again each day? Would that god win? So they believe it is their sacred duty to nourish the sun god, to strengthen his battle. Back to the quote here. The very survival of the world depended on it. So you can see then, if that's what they really, really believe, that the world will not survive if we don't nourish and help the sun god, you can see why the stronghold of human sacrifice had such a stronghold. So, the very survival of the world depended on it. Quote, and the sun god was on a strict diet of blood, human blood. The result was human sacrifice, not just in the capital, but in virtually every village in Mexico and beyond. In every village in Mexico stood a temple, and there's many still standing today, you can see, a temple of varying sizes, often resembling the pyramids of Egypt. Very fascinating. The lower parts of the temples often were tombs for departed aristocrats. There were steps up the side and at the top, was a flat surface on which rested a chapel-like structure. When the time for sacrifice came, the victim was led up the temple stairs, laid facing upwards on a slab of rock. The priest then used an obsidian knife to slash open his chest, still alive, pull out his still palpitating heart, hold it up, still beating before the sun god. The victim was then decapitated and his body was rolled down the temple steps where the people dismembered it, cannibalized its flesh. Queso explains, uh, another writer, the significance of Aztec cannibalism. Quote, "'Aztec cannibalism was a rite performed as a religious ceremony, so much so that he who had captured a prisoner could not eat his flesh because the captive was looked upon as his son.' It should not be forgotten that the minds of the Aztecs, the human victims, were the very incarnation of the gods whom they represented and whose attire they wore. And when they ate their flesh, they believed they were performing a kind of communion with the divinity. So there's a lot there to learn, but you get a little bit of an idea of their religion and the way this was so involved. So you see... So this was not merely a violent society for just violence sake. It wasn't just a a low IQ, barbaric caveman society society. That's not they were an advanced, um, not advanced in morality and in the knowledge of God, but it was a progressive, advanced society uh, that had these it was that these practices. It was a dark Dark civilization it is an impressive in worldly terms, on the size, the scale, the capabilities, the technology of their day. Impressive empire, but spiritually unbelievably dark. It was a spiritual battlefield where the kingdom of darkness had utterly entrapped an entire continent in demonic destruction. This is the reality that gripped the conquistadors as they witnessed these things upon their arrival and it's this thing these things they witnessed that spurred them on to act as they did. As one historian puts it, he says, the conquistadors believed in God fiercely and unreservedly, but they also believed but they believed also above all else in the devil. Now, the new world was the empire of the devil. The devil with multiform face, always hideous. The somber Mexican divinities, Huitzilopochtli, the sorcerer hummingbird, and Tezcatlipoca, the smoking mirror, the horrible Kenish cacmo of the Mayas, the Peruvian Veracocha, who symbolized boiling lava, the sinister totems of the Aurornians and Diogites. Why? This is the historian. Why? The medieval demon... With short horns, lustful eye, and a tail that was curled like a vine shoot, seemed a good devil beside such as these. Spaniards, who in extra-modern twilights had taken the flight of a bat for the passing of the evil one, were naturally terrified before these monsters of stone with bared fangs and gleaming eyes that seemed to come to fantastic life as night fell. How could they have watched an Aztec ceremony without nausea? The black robed priest with matted hair burrowing their knives in the breasts of their victims. The human skulls piled up at the feet of the temple. The cannibal feasts around the statues spattered with putrid blood. And the carnal house stench, which all the perfumes of Mexico were never able to hide. Such things froze the spirit of the conquistadors, surpassing the nightmares of their childhoods. Satan himself was there, and his worship was celebrated among the dismembered corpses. His maleficent power was honored. He was no longer, as in Spain, a familiar accomplice that could be driven off by a flick of the finger or by a sprinkling of holy water. He was enthroned. Carved in granite, encrusted with precious stones, and encircled with golden serpents. He was the superb incarnation of evil. He was glorified sin. Nothing was lacking in this perfect representation of hell, not even the pots in which certain tribes of the Colombian jungle cooked their enemies alive. This, indeed, was Satan himself adorned with all his lugubrious attractions. Why, therefore, should we be astonished at the reactions of the Spaniards? In the depths of the Indian sanctuaries, they could see the prince of darkness standing in all its macabre splendor. Looking heavenward, they could distinguish the silvery figure of St. James galloping across the clouds. The conflict between the true and the false, between good and evil, was manifest in this double apparition. The problem was simple and their duty was clear. The Indians were possessed with the devil who had to be exercised. So think about, that kind of puts you in the mind frame of the Spaniards. They It talks about all the battles with the Islamic forces, the Muslims, and how they were nasty, they were dark. This, by the Spaniards' own admission, was far more dark than the Islamic world they had fought with up to this point. And so they saw all these religious Aztec practices as actually demonic presence, Satan himself, they thought, was there and worshipped, and these were all thrones to him. And you can definitely see that. I mean, it's very clearly demonic, things they did. Therefore, if you're a Christian, and you come into conflict with a demonic society, and you know that Jesus Christ comes with the kingdom of God, casting out demons, you say, well, this is our marching orders. Let's go, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ cast out demons in this society and so that's what they that's the mentality of the conquistadors, which is very impressive very amazing um, not to not to exalt them but just to say they had a genuine faith for all their faults and problems they had a genuine faith a genuine a genuine answer to demonic oppression so that said Cortez finally makes it to capital city, Tenochtitlan. And you have one of the greatest meetings in history, which is so often overlooked, in the meetings of great kings and warriors. He meets Moctezuma. He walks into his palace. He meets with Moctezuma. Moctezuma did all he could to try and stop him from getting there. But now he's here, so now he's going to act friendly. It was a very friendly, very cordial meeting. The, he invited him. They, they ate together. They spent several weeks living in the palace with the king, who were the emperor. They had many conversations about many different things. And so it was a friendly start. They didn't just go in guns blazing and just start fighting and killing. They went in as friends. And at some point, a few weeks into meeting Moctezuma, they're living in his palace. Basically... What happens is they get Moctezuma and some of his priests locked in a room together. Meanwhile, for the few weeks that they're there before this, Cortez and his men are continuing to witness human sacrifice. They're just so nauseated and repulsed by it. They can't keep it down. They're going to have to act soon. They can't bear it in their spirits and their souls. So what they do, they get Moctezuma alone with maybe some of his priests with him, some of his bodyguards. Locked in a room together and basically they capture him in his own house. He's basically in house arrest in his own temple, his own palace empire in the capital city. And they're treating him very well, but they're in control now. They've taken they've taken him captive. They're not treating him poorly at all. He's doing he's eating his food, he's just fine. They're not beating him or torturing him. They're just saying, We're in charge now. Let's reason together or else. And so, which, think about this. Cortes, with less than 500 Spaniards, goes into the capital city of the greatest empire of that part of the Western Hemisphere, and he puts the emperor, the greatest emperor of the Aztec Empire, in house arrest in his own house. Very, very impressive, skilled, political, military move. Um, So that's impressive. So captures him in his own city. At this point, now that we've discussed the horrors, at least briefly, of the Aztec Empire, let us discuss for a moment the mindset of the conquistadors. We've hinted at it, but again, I want to reiterate to you their mindset that we have written down in their own words. The Spanish explorers, remember, remember this. They were the ones, the conquistadors have voluntarily followed Cortez into this. They could have turned back at any point. They were not obligated by law. They are not employees of the government. They were voluntarily there as fighters and explorers. So they were there because they believed in what was going on. They believed in the mission. These guys, the conquistadors, they're so often accused of being evil and wicked men, and it's just not the case when you actually read about them. They're accused of just being murderers, rapists who pillage for gold. Far was that from the truth. They were sincere men. Yes, they wanted to profit. They wanted gold. They lusted for women, sin, condemned. They needed to repent of that. But they were sincere men in their belief. They sincerely wanted to conquer the Aztec Empire under the banner of Christianity. They didn't just want to pillage it for gold and profit. They wanted to conquer and stop the human sacrifice and the idolatry and put it under the banner of Christianity. Many of the atrocities that are attributed to the conquistadors were not actually committed by them. As I mentioned, the local tribes that came and fought. Once chaos broke out in the battle in the city, the local tribes didn't listen to Cortes, and they committed atrocities against the Aztecs, not the Spaniards. The Spaniards, the conquistadors, as a group of men, Cortes as the leader, they from all we see from them, that we have in their writings, sincerely believed that these Aztec peoples needed to become Christian. Not that they needed to be destroyed and wiped out and subdued and captured as slaves, but that they needed to become Christians. And that's a part that's never told about their motivation. But that is a very clear, in their own writings, motivation. They wanted these people to become Christians. They wanted to see Mexico become a Christian land a Christian nation. Here's how one French historian puts it. Quote, They, the conquistadors, had grown up in the shadow of cathedrals and the odor of incense from their earliest years, while the first words they had uttered had been the names of the saints. The conquistadors, although for the most part illiterate, had no need of letters to feel the same fanatical spirit as did the horsemen of the prophet when they invaded the old Greco-Latin world or the Crusaders when they spread over the Syrian plains, or their own fathers at the reconquest of Granada. They had been told, they had been convinced that millions of Indians would burn forever in hell if they, the conquistadors, did not bring them the faith. They believed this, quite simply. Religion was for them not a pretext, but a banner. The existence of God in three persons, the immortality of the soul, sin, the last judgment— It never occurred to any one of them, the conquistadors, to dispute these facts or even to discuss them. These men of war and passion had retained the faith of little children. Their confessions were sincere. They participated in the mass, not only in the flesh, but also in the spirit. The worst of them died in penitence, pierced by arrows or with sword blade in the throat or tied to the stake under torture. They called loudly for the last rites. So, color of religion, as they're accused of, what an error. No ulterior motive colored the faith of the conquistadors. They remained men of the Middle Ages. Religious hypocrisy had not yet been invented. It was to turn up late, covering iniquity with its black cloak. The hypocrite is a creature of the 17th century. End quote. Now listen to this in Cortez's own words in a speech to his men as they uh, so eventually let me see if I'm going to get to this I ought to say very briefly eventually the way the battle starts in Tenochtitlan is that um, so I mentioned how Cortez had kind of broken his commission when he went further into the Aztec Empire he was supposed to just go to that one part and report back Well, they decided we're going to go further, break our commission, and burn the ships and go conquer this amazing empire we've heard about. Well, eventually, the Cuban governors realize what they've done. They're upset about it. They send a fleet of men to go after Cortez and to bring him back. And not only was it because Cortez broke his deal, and there's arguments to be made that Cortez actually didn't break his deal, but he fulfilled responsibilities, then established a new government, a new charter. That was kind of his justification around it. But there are some, you can read about there are some petty disagreements between the Cuban governor of Spain and Cortes. He was jealous of Cortes, something like that. So he sends a fleet of men and himself to go after Cortes. So Cortes, they've got Moctezuma on lockdown in his own palace. And uh, Aztec messengers come back and they say, hey, there's another fleet of, of your Spanish Uh, men who are they coming after you Cortez what's going on why are they coming after you so he says alright hold on you guys wait here I'm taking some men with me and we're going to go figure this out so he leaves one of his men in charge some men in charge you take some men with him he goes uh, he basically confronts the general who had a petty disagreement with him he says hey we're busy here we've got a whole empire who wants to sacrifice us can you just chill out for a second well, all the guys, all the Spaniard army that came with this new general said, yeah, what's this about? They join up with Cortez. They mutiny against the guy that led him there and say, yeah, forget you. We're joining Cortez. Let's go back and conquer this empire. So, so easy win for Cortez. That shows you how good of a leader he was, how loved and trusted he was, how honest of a man he was. Uh, so they, he goes back with another few hundred men with them, much-needed reinforcements as they make it back they start getting fought at before they reach the capital city just on the outside of it and they're like what's going on well the cortez's guy that i left in charge he got a little too hot headed and he ends up starting a fight um, and there's we're not really sure exactly how it happened but he ends up starting the fight and war breaks out and so the rest of cortez's men the spaniards are locked in the palace They've still got Moctezuma on arrest, but they're, like, keeping out these hordes of Aztecs who are wanting to come and get them and sacrifice them, and they're fighting him off. Uh, and so they're like, what a mess. So Cortez, now, his military strategy is to go in and um, rescue his men out, somehow get them out, while fighting off these thousands and thousands of Aztecs that way are outnumbering the Spaniards. So that's kind of the military stuff that's going on here. And the battle lasts several days because the Aztecs do not fight at nighttime because they're a religion of the sun god. When the sun god goes down, they stop because they've got to have him up to have their power in their mind. So that's a great advantage to the small numbers of the Spaniards. How One of the reasons they're able to win is because the Aztecs could have just continued and crushed them, but instead because they can just throw bodies at them, but instead they stop fighting, which gives the Spaniards time to recoup, re-strategize, to escape and maneuver. And um, so anyway, that's kind of the battle things that are going on. It lasts several days. So here's something that Cortez says in the midst of this battle. Here's what Cortez says, going back to the point of the mentality of the conquistadors and their faith. In one of Cortez's speech, after one of the few days of this battle, they're recuperating at night. They've lost a bunch of men. And remember, when their men get taken in battle, they're not just killed in battle. They're taken, and they hear their screams of them taken to be sacrificed. So it's terrifying to the men. And they've seen this happen to a few of their friends, you know, their buddies, their friends, their men. So they're down. They're They're wounded. They're trying to recoup and fight, literally, for their lives. And they're in the middle of the night, planning their next day's strike, here is part of Cortez's speech to his men. That's what he says. My brothers, I give many thanks to Jesus Christ to see you now cured of your wounds, so they're healing from their wounds, and free from sickness. I'm glad to find you armed and eager to return to Mexico City, or Tenochtitlan, to avenge the deaths of your comrades and recover that great city. This I trust in God we shall soon do, because... You are who you are, and the enemies are the same as they have been. And we shall do so for the Christian faith that we proclaim. The principal reason for our coming to these parts. So, pause. This is what Cortez says the principal reason is for their coming to these parts. The principal reason for our coming to these parts. Remember, he's saying this as the men are dying in battle. This is what we're here for, guys. Remember the mission. the principal reason for our coming to these parts is to glorify and preach the faith of Jesus Christ, even though at the same time it brings us honor and profit, which frequently come in the same package. <laughs> uh, we cast down their idols. We put a stop to their sacrificing and eating of men and began, to convert and began to convert the Indians during the few days we were in Mexico. It is not fitting that we abandon all the good that we began. Rather, we should go wherever our faith and the sins of our enemies call us. They indeed deserve a great whipping and punishment. Because if you remember, the people of the city not satisfied with killing an infinite number of men and women and children and sacrifice to their gods, devils rather, eat them afterward, a cruel thing, abhorrent to God and punished by Him, and one which all good men, especially Christians, abominate, forbid, and chastise, moreover, without penalty or shame, They commit that accursed sin because of which the five cities along with Sodom were burned and destroyed. So you know what he's talking about. Well then, what greater or better reward could uh, could one desire here on earth than to uproot these evils and plant the faith among such cruel men by proclaiming the holy gospel? Let us go then and serve God, honor our nation, magnify our king, and enrich ourselves. For the conquest of Mexico is all these things. (laughs) Tomorrow, with the help of God, we shall begin. All right, so you see in their own words what they thought. I'll get to questions in a minute. All right. So, the other thing to mention, before the battle breaks out, like I said, it was a peaceful Relationship with Moctezuma, between Cortez and Moctezuma. One of the topics of conversation, Cortez, this is an amazing thing to think about historically. Mexico, before the coming of the Europeans, lost in dark, pagan, human-sacrificing religion. They're an unreached people group at that time in history. They've not heard the gospel. There's no churches, there's no Christians. The Christian faith has not reached them. The greatest empire emperor, Moctezuma, gets told the gospel by Cortez face to face. This representative of Spain, uh, multiple times in the weeks before this battle, that's an amazing thing that someone from that kind of old world hears the gospel from someone from like the new a new world basically. So, an amazing thing that God did. Cortez ate with him, spoke with him for many days, during which time Cortez preached the gospel to Moctezuma and he implored him to become a Christian. So here's, in one conversation, this is what Bernal Diaz, his chronicler, who was there writing all this down, this is what he says Cortez spoke of to Moctezuma. He's writing about the conversations. Diaz says this, "'We told them we were Christians.'" And worship the one true and only God named Jesus Christ who suffered death and passion to save us. And we told them that the cross was a sign of the other cross. So the cross that they wore and stuff, they said, This cross was a sign of the other cross on which our Lord God was crucified for our salvation. And that the death and passion which he suffered was for the salvation of the whole human race, which was lost. And that this our God rose on the third day and is now in heaven. And it is He who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the sands, and created all the things there are in the world. And He sends the rain and the dew, and nothing happens in the world without His holy will. That we believe in Him and worship Him, but that those without His holy will, or but that those whom they look upon as gods are not so. So, your Aztec gods, you think are gods, are not so, but are devils, which are evil things. And if their looks are bad, their deeds are worse. And they could see that they were evil and of little worth. They, for where we had set up crosses such as those his ambassadors had seen, they dare not appear before them through fear of them. And that as time went on, they would notice this. The favor he now begged of him was his attention to the words that he now wished to tell him. Then he, being Cortez, explained to Moctezuma very clearly about the creation of the world, how we are all brothers, sons of one father and one mother, who were called Adam and Eve. And how such a brother is our great emperor, so emperor of Spain, grieving, and he is grieving for the perdition of so many souls there in Mexico, such as those which their idols were leading to hell, where they burn in living flames. So had sent us; they were sent by them, so that after Montezuma had now heard, he would put a stop to it. So they're imploring Montezuma put a stop to the sacrifice, and they would no longer adore these idols or sacrifice any men and women to them. Four, this is what Cortez is saying to Montezuma: We are all brethren, nor should they commit sodomy or thefts. He also told them that in the course of time, our Lord and King would send some men who among us lead very holy lives, referring to like priests and stuff, much better than we do, who will explain to them all about it. For at present, we merely came to give them due warning. And so he prayed him to do what he was asked and carried into effect. So, That's amazing that Cortez clearly, and that's amen to everything that was explained there. We believe those things. God created the world. He's dismantling their pagan worldview, preaching the gospel. That's what Cortez did for weeks with Moctezuma. Um, Unfortunately, sadly, Moctezuma didn't. He said, "You know, I appreciate. You know, I want to be friends. We're friendly. We can trade." But he ignored, he, required, he didn't respond, he didn't debate the calls to the Christian faith, and continued. Cortez would say, just stop the sacrifice, stop the killing of the blood. But Montezuma continued day after day to do it. And so eventually, that's why when Cortez is gone, his men aren't as refrained and self controlled as he is, they begin the battle. And that's how we talked about how it all happened. So the battle happened. Um, I talked about the tactics that were involved in it. Uh, Again, remember the Mexican tribes continue to pour in to help support them. So there's hundreds of thousands of Aztecs, hundreds of thousands of other Mexican tribes fighting against one another, and like a few hundred Spaniards caught up in the middle of it. But Cortez is like leading this whole thing, which is also a credit to his military abilities, that he was able to actually lead these tribes people. To follow him, you know, the communication might have been hard and things like that. They did follow him. They didn't agree. They, they failed to heed his orders to not commit these atrocities again against them because they went and did what the Aztec did to them to them. Um, but he was able to win a battle and lead them in that. And conservative estimates here tell us the conquistadors were outnumbered. This is how badly they were outnumbered. At least 100 to 1. the fight Um, and yet somehow eventually they did of course end up winning the fight, taking the city eventually stopping the human sacrifice, the idolatry they literally, you know one of the things that Cortez's men would do is they would travel from village to village all the way up to uh, the capital city and in the capital city they literally would tear down these stone idols and the places of sacrifice they would just literally destroy them And um, there is even today, I forget where in Mexico, but one of the uh, old Aztec pyramids of Mexico where they did sacrifices, there is actually a Spanish church that was built on top of it by the conquistadors, and it's still there to this day. That's what they do. They would go down and they they would tear the idols, tear the sacrificial places, and they put churches on it or crosses on top of it. So that's pretty cool. And they were successful in doing that. And it's not just like, oh, this cool capture the flag type thing. But you realize, they stopped the bloodshed and death of thousands and thousands of people when they did this. They were stopping the place and centers of human sacrifice. And so very, very amazing work of God. God took this rough group of men who, for all their faults... Yet sincerely believed the gospel, and he used them to stop the bloodshed of, of the Mexicans against themselves. Uh, the Mexicans could have brought themselves to extinction eventually, because the Aztec Empire was great and mighty, but it was not that old. It was not that old. It had only begun in the 1400s, um, which was 900 years, or about 100 years before. Cortez gets there. So God used it. They could have easily, and hundreds of thousands of them, they were sacrificing each year. God said, enough is enough. We're not going to wipe out the Mexicans. I have a plan for that. I want to save Mexicans for myself, and I'm going to use the conquistadors to stop them from killing themselves and bring them the gospel and eventually save from them the people for myself. And that's what God used the conquistadors to do. And so that's an, that's an amazing thing. Finally, uh, I just want to leave you with a couple more thoughts here, and then we're done. Um, Just militarily speaking, the amount of time of which it took for Cortez with his 500 men to conquer one of the greatest empires in the Western Hemisphere was an amazingly short amount of time. It was less than a year by the time he arrived on the Mexican continent to the time of capturing the city and ending the battle. It was less than a year. It was like nine months or something like that. Consider here what uh, one historian says. Quote, Let us pause for a moment to consider this man, Hernando Cortez. He lands in an unknown and hostile land and sinks his own ships, leaving no way of escape. Time and again, he enters pagan temples, reeking with human gore the very citadels of Satan as he sees them, to preach Christ before hostile priests and warriors and destroy their idols and roll them down the temple steps, knowing the next headless corpse to come rolling down the steps might well be his own. Repeatedly, he faces enemy armies, numbering hundreds of times his own, and charges into battle against them. And then, on November 14th, six days after arriving in Mexico City, he enters the palace of the most powerful emperor of the Western Hemisphere and makes him his prisoner. Whatever his faults may have been, it can hardly be said that Cortez lacked courage. <laughs> one of the things you'll hear from modern liberal historians is that uh, what a shame it is that one of the greatest empires was conquered and all of their culture was destroyed. Okay, what was their culture? <laughs> it was a culture of death that was killing itself. The modern approach is, oh, there's all this neutrality, colonization. We're bad for imposing. Who are we to impose our beliefs on them? Or who are the Spaniards to impose their... Okay, what was the beliefs of the Aztecs? It was death. It was murder. It was sacrifice. Yes, Christian beliefs. It's a good thing for Christian beliefs to be imposed upon people who are sacrificing themselves, their children, their, their brothers, their fellow citizens. And so we don't want to look at history as if we're these neutral bystanders where, man, that was a great culture. We can look at it and say it was great in terms of might and power, but it was not a great culture in terms of morals. It was, it was wicked and dark. And it was a good thing for all the faults of Spain. They had their problems. They weren't perfect. It was good that they were conquered. Uh, and that their idolatry and their culture was destroyed because it was wicked, it was sinful, it was was bloodshed. And it's good when a culture of death is stopped. Culture is not neutral. So we need to define great in biblical terms, not in worldly terms. I think I've said enough here. I think you get a picture of Cortez. I think you get a picture of how God used him in a a providential way in history. And uh, we still have, uh, in all all honesty, um, not to be corny or anything, but Jonathan's own heritage, Jonathan may not be sitting here with us today. He could have been, his father could have been sacrificed, but he was preserved because eventually someone came and said, enough is enough. (laughs) Human sacrifice will end. So... I thank God for that. Um, Alright, any questions or comments on that? Yes, sir. Um, why wouldn't they attack by night? Why? Why, why wouldn't the Spaniards attack the Aztecs? Well, that's a good question. Um, pr- they really, they needed a time to recoup. They were, they they needed, they were wounded, they were sick. They had to re-strategize and recoup. So... That's uh, what they mainly used that time for, and also you got to realize the Europeans—they were coming from a world of chivalry, and uh, where there were certain chivalric rules of how do you engage in in battle as a gentleman. And so part of that was an integrity in battle, where you're honest in battle, you're face to face. You know, you're not going to cheap shot. You're not going to kill women and children. That's the Spaniards. Morals and principles were. And so, if their enemies were resting, that wasn't necessarily banned, but there's some of that there where you don't, you know, you need to use it to recoup. And, you know, our main principle is we're going to face them head on, you know. So, there's kind of a couple of those things. And I think the fact that they did make maneuvers at night, they did escape at night, is part of the battle that they engaged in. But, good question. How long uh, was the war? Uh, a matter of days. I don't remember the exact number of days. Around a week, give or take. Um, so, it wasn't long, but it was a few days. So, that's impressive, too, that it, that it ended very quick, as quickly as it did. Montezuma, I didn't mention, was killed in battle. Um, remember, he was ca- he was held captive by the Spaniards during this whole time, so he wasn't like actually fighting. In fact, after one of the nights of battle, he goes out and like stand, you know, he stands out from his palace and he's telling his Aztec citizens, "Stop the fighting, you know, because it's getting chaotic and there's a lot of destruction of their own temples and gods." <coughs> he's saying, "Stop! Don't destroy our city! Stop fighting!" And at that point, he actually loses favor among his own Aztec people because they see him, well, you're captured, you're compromising and being faithless to our gods because you're telling us to stop fighting these people who are destroying our gods. And uh, so they actually don't listen to him. He ends up getting hit in the head with a stone from Aztecs you know, fighting in and throwing stuff in and dies from that head wound uh, shortly thereafter. So yeah, a few days, about a week or give or take. How many of the Aztec soldiers died in the fight? I don't have those numbers in front of me, and I don't recall, but tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. All right. (laughs) Well, you good? All right, well with that, I don't know what that is up there. but we'll wrap it up there, guys. I appreciate it.